And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good morning, Dungeoneers. Uh, that's right, I said morning. This is one of those rare occasions where we are uh, recording in the a.m., uh, so if we seem a little groggy or, or not ourselves, that's our excuse this time. Uh, I'm Lou Alu. With me to, this morning are... Howdy, this is Edwin. Hey guys, it's Bill. So guys, it's been a little while. We're, we're, we're sneaking in here at the end of the month. It's almost been a month and a half since our last recording. Um, what have you guys been up to? I'll start since I, I, I missed the last one, right? So... Well, sort of. Um, you, you got your ride in there at the end. I, I got my ride in. I couldn't yeah. pass it up. It was Gamma World, and I, I just it was awful. I had to miss. But um, so I, I date back into November. I had uh, October, November, right? I mean, yeah. Did we do one of these after game hole? Uh, yeah, I think that was. I think right. Oh, well, huh. <laughs> I gotta look at the dates, but I thought so. I thought that was the one you missed was after game hole. Yeah, I think so, because I don't think okay. we did one in so, October after Game Hall. I think it was after in November. After Game Hall, before Longcast. So I went to Longcast in November. Um, uh, did a bunch of gaming down there. It was great. Ran our D&D tournament, played Battletech, uh, Chariot Racing. So I got all kinds of gaming in uh, <laughs> for once in my life. Uh, you guys know how that goes. Now we're in December, and my life's been absolutely upside down. So there's no, there's no gaming going on this month for me. But um, – Long Con's great, by the way. I'll just backtrack. If anyone gets to Small Con in Longview, Texas, it's not the easiest convention to get to. Um, <laughs> it's, it's about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes out of Dallas-Fort Worth between it's between Dallas-Fort Worth and basically Louisiana. So it's actually Shreveport is a closer airport, but getting flights into Shreveport is not a – I don't think – it depends where you're at, I guess, where you're coming from. Um but it's it's worth the travel. It's a, it's a great little con. They've extended it now. It's uh, like three and a half days. It's a third starts Thursday afternoon. Nice goes all the way through Sunday. If you're a North Texas RPG fan, you love that convention. This is it's a very it's like almost a mirror image. You know, same kind of a little more modern gaming though. I mean, there's definitely more. I think of that. Um, a lot of DCC is played there. Um, but great con, great people. Uh, nice venue. Everything is right there. You can stay at the hotel. You can walk a dozen restaurants or in walking distance. Uh, great venue if you want to attend a convention. If you've never been to one, this is one of those conventions that uh, it's easy to go to and you're not going to feel overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, and like there's tons of events. There's so much gaming there. It's it's definitely all about the gaming at Long Con. That's awesome. Sure. Good deal. Sure. Speaking of uh, uh, speaking of that cons that are hard to, hard to get to, our uh, local snow con in Bangor, Maine, is coming up in uh, two weeks. Uh, that's it's a tiny little two day, and this year the hotel where it normally is is uh, closed for renovation, so it's actually at the Elks Club in Bangor. And I'm curious <laughs> to see how that's all going to work out, but we still have that beer. too. Is huh? They'll have beer. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, well, no. Maybe maybe they will have it. Maybe that's why we can't bring our own. Apparently, for the first time, we can actually bring our own food, uh, which is and and beverages of non-alcoholic yeah. sorts. But maybe they'll have their bar open. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but uh, that'd be good if they did. That would uh, help help support the Elks and help support the con all at once. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, I'm sorry if I miss it, but what, what's attendance expected to be? At SnowCon? Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to say 100, 150. I don't know. It's uh, nice and cozy. Nice yeah, and it's cozy. it's cozy. It's small. It's very, very local, sort of central Maine. You know, I have a friend who yeah. comes up from from southern Maine. But, and well, and we've had uh, actually some uh, Zach came out from Arizona a couple of times. The bottle autos have come from Texas. Um, but you know, as a lark, it's, uh, and it's, it's, again, it's a gaming focused, you know, there's barely a vendor hall. It's really just, um, it's a bunch of RPGs and a bunch of, um, board games and then a little bit of miniature gaming. Uh, yeah, something, something just great about those small cons though. You know I mean? Yeah. You don't feel like you have to be anywhere. You're just there to game and and yep. hang out and that's like i said it's kind of long con's got that nortex feel uh, i don't know they might around three three to four hundred people this year i think something like that i mean that's not nice. huge um and when i say it's hard to get to it, it it is but so this year i flew down to dfw and we just kind of did a carpool thing gary oliver picked me up but greg gillespie him and i timed our flights the same so we got down there at the same time and, and we all just rolled together so there's ways to make it work and there's enough people that are you know, certainly amiable to, to that kind of thing. So, uh, of course, they they went to the Dallas Cowboys football game on Sunday and dumped me at the <laughs> airport. So, there was that. <laughs> you just had to get back, huh? I uh, I needed to get back. Yeah, I uh, I had no interest in watching the Dallas Cowboys. To be absolutely honest with you, <laughs> until next week and when they play the Lions. Lions but yep. we'll see. We'll see. That's going to be a tough one. We're playing in Dallas, so. <laughs> Hmm. nice cool yeah that's uh there's something about like the the 200 to 500 mark that's like you go to a con like that and and you come back feeling relaxed and having enjoyed yourself bigger cons you, you had fun but like there's kind of like a exhaustion that you feel when you get back from them at least and there sure is when you're a vendor too right i mean there's a big difference between us being a vendor at like game hole where that's that's a you know and, and nobody's complaining so don't want to take this off as Oh, that whiny guy's got to sell games all day. Okay, no, it's <laughs> but there is a there is a big difference between um, manning the dealer hall at a larger con like a game hall for you know nine or ten hours a day um, than kind of the open flow of those smaller cons where you know you you got your booth open. You, I don't we walk away all the time. No one worries about your stuff getting stolen or. You know, if people want something, they literally text you or, you know, <laughs> say someone comes and gets, hey, someone's at your booth. They want to buy something, you know, and it's just they have that flexibility. Those smaller mm-hmm. kinds, I think I like that. Um, you know, it, it is a, it is a difference. I mean, game hole and uh, you got when you run booths, you, you've done all this before. So it's it is yeah. more. I hate to use the four letter word work, but it is more work. <laughs> definitely, it is, it is. Time, right. I mean, well, I think there's also more it's fun. But it's a different, it's a different, it's just a different atmosphere. There's more, more sort of decision-making, you know, it's like there's, there's so much going on about trying to decide whether to do this event or that event and how you're going to have dinner with these people yeah. and also play yes. that game. Whereas right. the little con, it's just kind of like, it's sort of like a one track conference, you know, it's like, you're just doing the thing and you've done the thing. And that was great. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like, there's no big deal between walking away from your booth at, at noon, even if there's no one to cover it, to go run a game for four hours. Right. Cause honestly, the things stay like at long kind of North Texas, it, the vendor hall opens at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. Cause it's just part of the rest of the con um, space. So people are in and out and it stays open till you can be running your booth at midnight if you want. I mean, cause your games yep. are being played in there. So. 
versus a larger account where it's more structured, I think is. is well, I think from from the dealer perspective too, like the the larger cons, you know, you're you've invested to be there to to sell, and then you've got there's, that kind of there's that in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they are tremendously more expensive at the large cons than the small ones. There there is that for sure. Yeah. Edwin, get any gaming in in the last month and a half? Of course. <laughs> you mean the last week sure <laughs> um yeah so what do we have going on the uh, uh my home game that i'm playing in the um um jesus i just lost it um the watsy one um oh the how uh, the incorporated one um, yes that's exactly acquisitions yeah. inc um has has taken a very pleasant turn for the fun. Uh, we've had two sort of over-the-top heists uh, in the last two gaming sessions. One was a prison break, and one was getting a book out of a library and uh, not checking it out, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, the thrill. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was pretty impressed that they had sort of set up for that level of shenaniganry in you know in the in their published book and uh so yeah that was that was that was really nice it was definitely you know i remember at the beginning i was saying that we'd had this sort of amazingly linear dungeon where it was literally you go in one door and you go out the next door and you just go room to room killing stuff uh whereas this is broadened out a little bit and definitely we were sort of posed you know problems were posed to us and it was up to us to figure out how to go and it's still you know it still has uh i'll say a, a sort of a beginner's flair to it you know it's, it was sort of obvious that here's some easier ways or some more likely ways to go you know the clues were pretty <laughs> pretty in your face it wasn't kind of a you know players it wasn't us completely deciding we're gonna do this um but i felt like we had choice but in any case, the this that was presented most obviously was was a hoot. Um, and so I think that's that's actually to me is some really good adventure writing when the you know when the obvious answer is also the fun answer. Uh, you don't have to work too hard as a player to you know to make it make it sort of crazy. So that was fun. Uh, I've got a couple new uh scenarios started as a player in Skype of Cthulhu so we've just sort of turned over a few new ones there you last time you're talking about uh, the character the uh what was it uh the dame Agatha yep yeah so she's uh she's in the thick of it now and uh it's curse of Nineveh and we're we're members of a, a private club in London and there's a bunch of cursed statues going around and people getting killed and we're sort of right now we're just getting the hints that there are troubles in the world and that there are uh, some of us are convinced that there are actual curses and actual magic going on. And other of us are still trying to figure out the mundane solutions to these weird problems. You know, so we've got that tension, which I got to say gets harder and harder to. To keep up as a player, like I feel like, I, you know, I've done that gig before. I'm almost. I've been thinking, you know, it'd be sort of more fun to start playing more experienced investigators so that as players, we don't have to pretend that the supernatural doesn't exist. You know, we can <laughs> just sort of dive right in. 
but that's definitely part of the game. So, um, and then we're starting to think, so Necronomicon is this summer and it's every other year in Providence, Rhode Island, definitely a con that I recommend for, for horror gamers. And every year we've done a, an extra life fundraising game. And it's been a, basically we get a four hour block and we do um, three tables and each table is a series of 30 minute adventures. So every half hour, the, the, the uh, keeper, the GM uh, gets up and leaves and a new one sits down and the players cycle through as their characters die. And it's, you know, you can donate the money and all that kind of fun stuff. But the, the main, the main thing is that we're doing these, this, it's always been these series of 30 minute adventures, just bam, bam, yeah, bam. 30 minutes, man. That's the, you get the fat trimmed there. How, how, it, what, what do you do in 30 minute Cthulhu adventure? It's, I, it's normally, it's pretty good. Like you basically, you know, you're, uh, you give them a, a goal and then you throw horror in the way of it. And, you know, and they said so they, you know, they run into something and they either survive or they don't, or they find the, the, the MacGuffin or they don't. Um, and it, it works pretty well. Like, I feel like it's, it's 30 minutes is actually enough to get a, a tight one or two encounter story um, you know, it's 30 minute TV show, right? You just, you yeah. gotta be ready to, to hit the ground running. Um, and I think this year we we're going to do a, the theme is going to be a comedy of horrors, comedy of errors. We're thinking high, you know, high fashion, 1920s, uh, type stuff, uh, where, where the investigators are always just sort of partying and just keep tumbling <laughs> into, uh various horrific situations so we'll see what we come up with for that we're just starting the planning now um but i'm pretty that's always a fun um fun deal and i've been i also feel like i've been doing a lot of this sort of thing because i've been i just set up games for SnowCon, total con and rising phoenix which the total total and rising are uh, boston area in february and april um so i've I've signed up for everything to run those things. And eventually I'll figure out what, what that actually means. Um, <laughs> start, starting with SnowCon in two weeks. Um, I, I need to promote one more convention um, that's coming up. And I don't know if this, this puts all the onus on Lou. Uh, oh. It's January 6th, 7th, 8th, maybe. It's a Philadelphia area game expo. It's the first time, first, it's their inaugural convention. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. Being held in Philadelphia. Um, we're going to be attending. Uh, Pacer is going to be there. Uh, a few, couple other old school guys are going to be there. I know a lot of new school people. Um, yeah, I was going to say the uh, the small publishing community about everyone I've talked to is uh, yeah, kind of like oh, I don't know about this convention. It's brand new, but we're going. Yeah, we're <laughs> so going to cool. get. We decided to absolutely give it a shot. We got approached when they were first forming it, and um, we said sure. It's you know, it's first of all, it's drivable for us. It's a long drive, but it's drivable for us. Uh, to to bring the whole pace setter set up. So, um, yeah, we're gonna go, and we're kind of excited. Uh, it, they they made me and Ben special guests, which was really an honor. That's awesome. Um, but Frank Menser's gonna be there, which is cool. I think Gillespie, Greg Gillespie's coming, and I'm sure there's a bunch of people I don't know who they are. They're more five E people. So, um, but uh, you know, people definitely current in the industry, and I think uh, last I heard, he's got seven or eight hundred people signed up. So. 
Um, it's going to be small, but not super small. So um, I don't know if you want to get a chance to see me actually game other than talk about it, come to Philadelphia Air Game Expo because I will be running games. So, oh, you're gonna you're not just working the booth, huh? I am not just working the booth. I am actually got uh, the beauty of when I have been at the big cons is I, we can kind of alternate. So we're both running games, but uh, yeah, I'm running a couple of. Uh, I think I'm running the fourth level Palace of the Vampire Queen there. So we're gonna we're doing a special mods release for the con and all that too. And um, that's a, it seems like a an ambitious start. I like it. I mean, it's going to be a thousand people. It is ambitious. Yeah, I, it, that's kind of fun. I agree. I agree. I mean, most people starting on a con are looking at you know a hundred people or so, right? I mean, or a small you know a small space. I mean, he reserved a very large space. It's in a it's in a convention center. It's not in a hotel. Well, uh, and I guess you've got. I mean, it is like there's a lot of people. I mean, it's Philadelphia. You know, it is, it's Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, you got, got New York. Up, you right? got. But, yeah. You know, I think the only thing that might hold him back or is holding back, it'd probably be even larger, is that weekend sort of sucks, right? It's the it's the weekend after New Year's. And right. everyone's going back to school that week this year, the way the calendar falls. You know, most of the kids are going back to school that Tuesday or Wednesday of that week. Um, everyone's been off. You know, a lot of people have been off for a couple of weeks. So now, I, real I think quick, because uh, did you say it's in January? Yes. Okay, yeah, for some reason, it's next week. In February. It's a week. Okay. It's a, yeah, it's literally a, what is today? Say Thursday? Well, yeah. It's a week yeah. from today. Yeah, it's next week. Yeah. Yeah. It starts, or it doesn't start Thursday. We set up vendors Thursday. It's Friday, so Saturday. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. So, yeah, week from Friday, um, which whatever that date is, and I don't have it right here in front of me. I think it's the sixth, maybe, but not 100% sure. Fourth, fifth, sixth, something like that. So, I'll try to get in the uh, show notes here. But it's it, Friday. Yeah. Looks, it, I mean, they put a ton of work into organizing it. Um, and like I said, if you're, if you're, if you can make the drive and you got some time, come on down to it. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be neat to see a lot of yeah. vendors. It's, I mean, there's like 40, 50 vendors at this thing. It's wow. not, it's not small. There's probably too many vendors for the size of the con, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, really fascinating to see how it goes. I mean, it's a, it's a major city, you know, Philadelphia is huge. So yeah. You never know what the walk-ups are going to be either, right? Because people always just be, oh, I'm not sure if I can make it kind of thing. So if you think you might be able to make it, give it a shot. A lot of, a lot of people are going to be there and come uh, come glad hand some of us old-timers. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Lou? Yeah, Lou, what do you so, got? Uh, kind of the same story as trying to get this uh, podcast uh, recorded here. It's just been like one thing after another. I mean, you know, between the three of us, we had, you know, obviously holiday schedule issues, there's power outages, there were sicknesses uh, within my own personal home. Uh, we, we had an issue with our well, we had uh, uh, some family things go down, then we had uh, illnesses here at uh, Christmas time. And, and so my my personal gaming group, it's been like every time we've had a chance to meet somebody had to drop out and it got to where it's like, well, let's let's just put it off another week. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so I've done virtually zero gaming uh, other than. Uh, we we start up a new family game um, with uh, Keep on the Borderlands, and uh, it's uh, it's getting uh, unseasonably cold in the setting. Uh, Bill, you oh. know where I'm going, huh? Nice. Yeah, they're going to do uh, Bill's Blizzard on the Borderlands uh, uh, take on it. So uh, that's kind of fun to just put that module in a in a different seasonal setting and and some of the. You know some of the twists and turns with that. Uh, I'm looking forward to presenting. But, Lou, I'm uh, going to send you. We're doing a major expansion today. I'm going to send you the stuff I've got, the oh, manuscripts. Cool. So you can, if you feel like tweaking any of it in there. Um, yeah, I'd love to run some of that. Yeah, yeah that yeah. 
Uh, but it's it, it is interesting how just like that little difference because I, I I like keep on the Borderlands, but it's not my favorite. I know a lot of people just head over heels on it, but um, by changing that a little bit uh, and adding that that uh, winter element to it and and these new characters coming in and you know it gets to feel more like a uh, like a desperate situation as you as you're pressing in that you know there's there's you you don't have enough time to get to the next uh, you know settlement or whatever and, and there's you know winter setting in you better better make camp here and there's all these ruffians that are kind of ported <laughs> in there too that under the same conditions uh, it's just just a neat little twist I yeah like that does sound good actually as a way to spice a chilly it up. little cauldron for sure yeah <laughs> yeah. But yeah, other than that, um, just been been writing the just every day, writing, 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 trying to do a couple different little projects. Um, finally getting around to trying to finish it out the uh, the solo play module I was working on for MCC, and um, you know I kind of had a big notebook full of you know this that and the other thing, and now I'm actually getting it tiered out into the you know the uh, I, I guess you could call it like the web of decisions that you make and that sort of thing and man that's a complicated mess oh my goodness <laughs> to keep track of the way the paths you know split and diverge and come back together uh, so- I, i've always contended that soul adventures um kind of they kind of went the way of the dinosaurs it's an interesting story you know because everyone tried their hand at them back in the uh-huh. 80s we talked about this when we did uh um Murrow s Musin's uh ghost of lion castle right so yeah um and then they kind of went away of the dinosaur and I, I don't think it's because people don't like playing it people love playing and we whenever we put one out we do extremely well with them but they're so i think they went the way of the dinosaur for the most part is because they're difficult to do they are difficult it's a, it's not just like a creative writing exercise where a regular module is fairly straightforward you know a soul adventure is a lot more complex and um there's so much more technical aspects to it that are not fun uh, for the <laughs> author or the editor or anybody else, honestly, um, when you put those things together, they're just, uh, you know, they become real work, you know? And so I feel for you, Lou, and, you know, well, we're doing our, we're doing Gamma X coming up this year. We're doing a solo adventure for that. And that's got me pulling my hair out because it's even more difficult in a post-apoc setting with powers and everything things. else. Everything's so different versus D and D you're, it's a little more linear and straightforward. You can it, to to hold to hold it all together, right? Because that's the mm-hmm. that's the big problem in a solo adventure is holding things together without it branching out of control. Um, I hope you will put in a few Easter egg, a few encounter descriptions that you can't actually get to, just to see if people no. <laughs> you know just read it straight. straight. I'm, I'm <laughs> just you, reading that, it. That, that that can happen without us even trying. Oh, I'm okay. sure that'll happen so, by accident. But <laughs> it seems more fun to put it in on purpose. And be like, if you're reading this, <laughs> I do have this mechanic where uh, if you choose to talk to these characters that you run across and you roll high enough personality check, um, you can you can decide any one room later on to look at the the branches and see which oh, cool. you know, which one you like oh, and cool. go that way because they informed yeah. you what to do yeah. when you got to that point yeah it's a great idea you can have one where they can email you and you'll answer a question well and it's it's well <laughs> that's a, yeah that's a good one uh yeah, the, the like whole it. other thing is um is you got it there are you just can't say sit down and play right you, you have to have the, the game system you're playing the solo adventure in but then you have to have like an ancillary uh group of Mm-hmm. Like like soul play soul solo mechanics. Play. It, yeah. it is going to be a little different. You have to throw things in that, um, you know, 
like, hey, we're hand waving this because you're just playing solo events. You're not going to worry about how much shit you're carrying right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Or ways to keep that character alive rather than just be a, you die every five minutes and have to keep restarting. Uh, that's <laughs> so the fun. For, that's only fun for so long. So yeah. I just saw somebody had posted something about using the Fantasy Grounds solo play settings. They're playing Rap and Athic, I, I think it was just and so somehow Fantasy Grounds, which makes sense. I mean, obviously a computer yeah. is a great tool to be able to. But I don't know. Have either of you? I, I hadn't. I have not heard yeah. of this. I hadn't played I with it at all. I'm hearing of it. No. Huh. Right. Well, you folks out in listener land, if you know about this, let me know. Yeah, tell I'm, us about I'm your experience. Curious. This old dungeon at gmail.com. <laughs> Ask Lubal is solo new solo adventure. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. If you roll a hundred, you can uh, you can send Lou an email and he'll tell you which room <laughs> not to go in. <laughs> go left, not right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, speaking of riding in, we want to get right down to it and do the uh, letters to the homeowners. All, All right. right. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. Oh, I've got one here from uh, Jonathan Kurtz, uh, who says... Uh, yeah, so, so prefacing this, in, in case you missed the last episode, we, we really gave Jonathan some crap about his monkeys, and, and he had this... <laughs> for, for the treasure room, we've been doing this thing from a writer uh wanted to have us design a, a room before the treasure room and jonathan proposed the uh, room themed around the well what most people say three monkeys but he pointed out there's actually four so this is him uh retaliating from all the crap we gave him go ahead sorry <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um so he says okay initial response the monkeys increase in size and weight every round if they are not removed by the fifth round the characters are crushed to death under the burden there is the possibility that they can convince the monkeys that they've seen the error of their ways and leave without the treasure, some hit points, and a few inches of stature. I assume they mean they can convince the monkeys that they themselves, the player characters, have seen the error of their ways as opposed yeah. to convince the monkeys that the monkeys... Anyway, uh, and DCC, of course. That's the system, I'm assuming, that he's uh, yeah, thinking of running this what in. System, what yeah. system, yeah. Um, yes, it's fight or deceive, not both at the same time. The rules can be plainly written or announced for everyone to understand. I think one of the things we said is that it might be a more fun encounter if the mechanics of the situation were sort of laid out. Um, the challenge is not in figuring out what to do. It's figuring out how, which I think is often a good one. Uh, just woke up and listened to Bill's postscript. Expanding the monkeys into a full adventure was an idea that flitted around my head a couple of times. Thanks for the encouragement. So... Awesome. Uh, I'm going to, unless you have uh, any responses there, I'm going to leap into Peter Skeins here. Peter Skeins says to us, love the episode. I would just stop there. Oh, no, you got a whole, you got a whole letter. All right. I knew nothing about Mass Day at New Hope before listening, but love Gamma World. So this was the last one we talked about, which was just sort of a, I guess, a two-page spread adventure. Uh, I wouldn't even, we didn't even think it was an adventure. It was a, yeah, it an, an encounter. encounter yeah. Yeah. An encounter, yeah. 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 Um, and then he writes, uh, how I'd change it. I'd probably get rid of mass day. Cause I don't really like it. Um, I'd use your idea of having the previous iterations of the robot show up X one, the villagers could have destroyed X two came and took artifacts and kidnapped various pure strain humans and disappeared into the night. Now X three has arrived and its mission is to kidnap more 
PSH, pure strain humans, and take as many artifacts as it can find. If the PCs examine X1 or if they follow X3 back to the factory, they might learn that the robot has been following General Restart, has been following General Restart, has been following General Restart. General Restart, including, I don't know, uh, including new commodities hedging protocols. I'm not sure how to parse that sentence. I don't know if either of you have a... I think he's just saying that, like, and I think it, it might have referred to this in the oh. uh, in the adventure, but with the idea the factory's trying to get up and going and it needs some elements to do that. And it needs I got it. That's Grinch. That's Grinch. They've been following protocols. Oh. <laughs> the name of the protocols are General Restart, including new commodities hedging. That's Grinch. Okay, they've been following Grinch protocols. All right. Thank you, uh... Thank you, Peter. That's awesome. Um, then a quick dungeon delve into the, in the factory as the PCs come across a bunch of pure strain human kidnappees that have been transformed into enhanced line foremen. Elves. Elves. Uh, with cybernetic headwear covering their ears and heads. Themed, uh, themed hijinks ensue while an overactive PA system <laughs> narrates stuff going on. That would be fun. <laughs> Uh, the players have to find the way to save these folks, reprogram the robot factory and not die. Maybe a loud timer for the return of X3 to the factory. Anyway, that's what I do. Uh, ask for a question. What are your thoughts on Gonzo in games? Does it work? Where is it appropriate? And where does it fall? Thanks again. Keep up the great talk, Peter. Well, so I guess wanna... if we deny Gonzo, we just have to throw out his entire email. So pretty much. Um, <laughs> I like his idea, right? I mean, he gets—he definitely gets into the kind of the with the Grinch and Elf thing, with the Christmassy thing. But I, to me, but he said he would down and take the whole mass day out of it because he doesn't like it. I would actually double down on that, right? And just say they're, the the PCs are gonna like at the end of that adventure that he's gonna have them go through. They're actually reestablishing Christmas <laughs> instead of eliminating it, and you know, making that factory work the way it's supposed to. So I, yeah. I kind of, yeah. yeah. I love his idea, but I would kind of spin it kind of the other way and say let's so let's oh, do you think he's saying to get rid of the holiday mass day or get rid of the adventure maybe the I'm encounter gonna, as written maybe I don't, I don't know i took it as i took it as he wanted to get rid of christmas I, I thought the, the, I thought the concept but yeah maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong there but that's that's how um, i originally interpreted it, but now that you're saying yeah. that I, I can see that maybe you're saying no he just means scrap what they got scrap and go the adventure and do, do a whole different adventure but yeah, yeah. Regardless, I, I I like his ideas. He's got, he's he definitely yeah. put some thought into it a lot more than I did. So, um, <laughs> but fantastic. He did definitely this this old dungeon did, and that's uh yeah stepping off yeah. on you. Well, I do think I think one of the fun things I was listening to Monster Man um, James uh, what's his bucket there talking about oh. this also that for uh, holiday adventures especially Christmas holiday adventures, you have license to go really corny. Yeah. And, and this is sort of a, you know, so he really, I think doubles down on that idea of having, having, you know, the Grinch protocols and the elves and like all, any bad joke you want to throw in <laughs> that's themed. Uh, I feel like you can get away with because people are just in that sort of mood and willing to go, you know, I think it's sort of like the, uh, the the difference between a convention game and your regular home game is that in a convention game, you can really go off the rails because, you know, you never have to get back onto them, right? You can just <laughs> do whatever. And I feel like a holiday game, even with your normal group, is sort of the same thing. You know that you're taking a a special break and you don't have to keep up that level of energy or that level of power or whatever it is that you do. 
every week for the next year. It's just I like mean, today. You really we're want to this. get everyone to buy into it, right? Just yeah, because everyone's going to add to that that fun of that whatever holiday theme is with their own ideas and stuff. I yeah, I I agree with you there. And I think I, I mean that's sort of the thinking. I don't know. So I guess that's so one question I have. I think related on this, you know, what are my thoughts on Gonzo? Is what would it mean to have a Gonzo campaign like a year round? Um, you know, you're meeting every every other week for four hours, and it's going to be Gonzo tables. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I mean for me that I feel like there's the I mean I guess if the it depends on what you're looking for in a game, right? I mean if you're thinking like so I'm always in the you know the fun of problem solving and sort of exploring new new worlds and whatever, and so the. I mean, I was super excited to have these two sort of over-the-top heists in um, Acquisitions Inc. game, and they were both. Uh, I mean, they weren't silly in the sense. I mean, we're following five E rules, right? Pretty, pretty uh, cleanly, but we definitely were over the top in terms of sort of narrative. You know, the things we did were definitely goofy. Um, and I don't think there's an issue with that necessarily. We're sort of, you know, thinking about, we left, uh, Neverwinter after, after the two heists and we're like, wow, we can't go back to that city ever again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even though I think we sort of came out as, as the, the good guys on one of them. Um, yeah, I don't know. What are you thinking about, about Gonzo? To me, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, like a lot of things in life, there's a continuum, right? I don't really feel like at this point you're in Gonzo land, you know, it's like things just kind of <laughs> slide crazier, yeah. wilder and, and more, you know, uh, uh, just, just, just more exuberant than, than, you know, what, what they started off as. And eventually you get to a point where, where people are like, Oh yeah, now we're Gonzo, but, but it's not really, you know, it's the, the frog in the boiling water thing. You've maybe sure. been there for a while and you're just now noticing it. Uh, every game has its own tone and, and, uh, you know, as, as a game master, you try to keep a certain tone for your campaign, not to say it doesn't leave it. Cause obviously at the game table, there's always, you know, crazy jokes and, and silly things that people do. But, um, as far as having a campaign that's consistently on that side of the continuum that people would start to identify as Gonzo, I, I've never been in one. Um, you know, I've played games that have been Gonzo. I mean, we used to play Tunes a lot. We used to play uh, yeah. Paranoia. Uh, ugh, Paranoia uh, oftentimes gets a little Gonzo. You know, we read uh, way back. We did the episode on Ghostbusters, the RPG. That seems like it's a very Gonzo kind of system, or or that's the expectation in those adventures. Well, I guess it depends. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. I was just, it's, to me, it's more of a read the room kind of thing. Like, do you have the right players as a GM fit that mold? I mean. I'm all about a Gonzo. Like, if you're playing D and D and you have a Gonzo encounter within your overall adventure, I'm all about it. That's that's great. Um, I know it's not my best bag for sure for me personally. Um, uh, is running running Gonzo stuff, and I think I think that because we we tried a lot of the games Lewis talking about too back in the day, and we could never really carry those games on because I think you have to keep that elevated gameplay going the whole time to keep that gonzo going in a way and i think that's why a lot of those game systems suffer um like for long-term play i mean mm -hmm. sitting down and playing a game of paranoia at a, at a game convention for example is a blast 
anyone can sit down for four hours, but you know, everyone's got to be, I think, uh, you know, if you're not in that particular mindset that day, you know, you know, we all have different feel differently, different days sometimes. Right. And I think to get a whole group of everyone around the table in the same mindset all the time, I can't, I don't know how easy that would be, but again, it, you know, all groups are different. Gaming groups are different. Some groups might thrive in that environment and other groups might be like, I just, we just don't love this. So I, you know, I don't know. I, like I said, do I like dropping a gonzo encounter in from time to time? Absolutely. Cause I'm all about uh, keeping the table on its toes, not 24 seven, but I, I do. And to me, that's part of the bill shtick. Okay. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to make you think I'm, I, I want a whole mystery going on. But every once in a while, we're going to drop in something that's got absolutely nothing to do with what's going on and watch people react to that to determine whether it does have something to do with it or not. Or this is just some crazy time, Gonzo, you know, funhouse uh, room um, or whatever, or, or part of any adventure like Shadowrun. You could throw a Gonzo section in, but <laughs> I don't know how well it would work in Shadowrun. It's not, right. really not that type of game. So um, there's so from the... it could be. You're sort of tackling it from the player side uh, from, you know, what we're in the mood yeah. for. And I was thinking similarly in terms of, you know, what do you want to explore in your role-playing game or your, you know, and if, if, if you're thinking, you know, primarily about sort of human level interactions, or if you're thinking about sort of grit and or horror or fear, like there's a lot of things that are harder to do while you're also doing Gonzo. So I feel like that similarly and that, you know, that piece of variety or that scale Lou, that you were talking about, you know, sort of nice to go back and forth between looking real locally at the fact that, you know, these two people like or don't like each other and how that's going to resolve itself all the way out to some, you know, world shattering, right? whatever is going on. And, and it's, but, but I wouldn't want to try to keep the focus at any one place all the time. I like, I, I like, you, like variety. And I think it would break down, right? So you got five players around the table, and it's kind of that chain, right? And, and, and you're in this, say, Gonzo environment, and player one has got does a does his part, player two does, player three does, and player four is just not feeling it. You get to him, and everything kind of like crashes down, and then you got to build it back up for player five, right? So I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like I said, I'm not opposed to, to Gonzo playstyle. I, I think uh, trying unless you have, you got to read the room. I guess I go back to that. What I'm saying is. Uh, how well is like, it going to work in a certain situation? I feel like nowadays uh, there's more acceptance of and more uh, examples of Gonzo in gaming than what there used to be. And I think maybe that might be part of like the effect of like anime and how it's kind of sure. infused itself into sci-fi and, and nerd culture or whatever. Well, um, like everything else, there's different levels of Gonzo too, right? There's yeah. Well, and different, I, I mean, one of the things I, I like and I, I, I is that we haven't defined it yet, and I hope we don't because I suspect the three of us are talking about three different things, <laughs> uh, Probably which are. is great. <laughs> we should keep it that way. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't even know. Like when I started thinking about what that could possibly mean, there's so many different ways it could go. And I'm like, I don't even know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, like there's, like I said, there's there's whole different variations how people feel at any given moment. And, and I think Gonzo, by almost by its definition, plays a little bit on that, right? It's going to, it's it's definitely more of a, 
um, um, I don't want to say forced emotion or forced uh, style of gameplay because that's really not what I mean. Um, but it definitely is a version, right? Of mm-hmm. One way or another. Um, and everyone's going to think of to react differently or play it differently, which is not a bad thing all itself, obviously. But um, I, like, I, even just categorizing it is a problem. So I don't know. I think that's the answer to my question. As far as I'm going to go with it, because um, again, it's it's not my specialty anyway. So, so I guess so. Yeah. So he comes back down to where is it appropriate, which I think is your sort of read the room thing, and where does it fail? And that sort of there are certain. I think there are certain themes that are harder to. Yeah, absolutely. Harder to look at. They definitely come to a screeching halt when you throw in something Gonzo, and everybody's kind of like takes it back for a minute. Like what? Yeah, really? Yeah. Okay. So. So there you go, Peter. There Those are is. our thoughts. <laughs> Made us think right, way too I'm hard in the morning. Question. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> You're going to put us a question? I, I'm, I'm writing in with a question. Uh, what is the best gaming-related present that you ever got or gave uh, for a gift? Oh, God. I, I feel like that's the sort of question where you're excited to tell us about something. I yeah, I feel like this is <laughs> No, I just I was wanting something, you know, kind of thematic with the holidays. So I was trying so, to think of you know something that uh but I, I honestly uh I, I don't really have a very good strong answer for it. Um when I was a kid, uh late teens, my, my parents would get me some Dungeons and Dragons related things for Christmas. And uh, I remember one year um you know, in my teenage angst, being a little disturbed because I got a uh, what was the uh, is the Creature Crucibles, which were one of the last D oh, yeah. products. They uh, they were kind of like uh, guides to play monsters for characters, and uh, it was in my teenage angst, uh, in internal dialogue, I'm like, well, this is D and D. I play a D and D. Dang man! <laughs> you know? But then I got to reading it, and it, it was really pretty cool. Uh, you know, the the rules were were pretty harsh. You like had to get like some crazy amount of XP just to become first level, you know, playable characters or whatever. But uh, um, but like some of the things they pointed out about the different monsters, and and they uh, had the uh, an adventure in it that was pretty interesting that used some of the monsters featured there. Um. That was kind of, I thought that was pretty cool. It kind of changed my mind about like, you know, the idea of, of, of not, you know, AD&D, D&D, whatever, it doesn't matter. It can all get mixed in kind of thing. Well, I'm going to uh, not talk about necessarily my best gaming uh, present because I don't have any idea what that would be. But I'll talk about my most recent one, which is a shout out to John Hook of uh, Modern Mythos and other uh, activities. But he sent me a... Uh, this was an Etsy uh, 3D printed. It's a beer koozie. So it's a plastic mug that you can put your beer can in. <laughs> but the handle is hollow. And you can uh, throw a die down the hall, uh, down the handle and it will come oh out. So gosh. it's a die tower beer koozie. Oh, I have absolutely wow. no idea what to do with it. I think it's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. It is it's spectacular, actually. So if at the fun. Elks Club they are serving beer, <laughs> I will absolutely bring this so that I can put my can of beer in my beer in my tower and uh, and try to figure out how. And what the one of the other fun things is the way it's uh, 
built or designed every once in a while uh i've noticed the die just shoots out which you know like <laughs> it goes like two or three Project feet out. <laughs> which sort of makes it less uh, less good as a die tower but more excited it's more gonzo uh, <laughs> maybe i can knock over miniatures with the dice as they come out the Oh. That is that is epically cool. I think, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna be able to top that. Um, I think the best things I ever gave out uh, were that, that I could that had any sort of impact. Uh, when my son first started, when Ben first started playing D and D with his gaming group, you know, his bunch of five or six guys, uh, they they were gonna they played first edition AD and D. This is going back seven or eight years now, I think. Um, so they were teenagers, you know, late teens, 16, 17, 18, something like that. Um, and they played a session or two and they were all hooked, right? And Ben was Ben was playing DM. He'd never DM before. Oh, and wow. they were playing DD and they were just uh, having a blast with it. So I managed to grab, I had a few old kind of ratty copies of the first edition player handbook laying around. Um, I gathered those up. I think I bought some more off eBay real quick or something. I, I just put my hands on enough so I could give each one of the kids uh, a first edition player's handbook. And the you know, second and third play session they got together, I gave them each a player's handbook and um, and I, not that it was, you know, this big grandiose gift or anything, but to see them six, seven months later, all of them just holding those books and bringing those books to every game session. <laughs> That's now, awesome. Yeah. Right. And they all personalized the hell out of them. They're drawing pictures in it. They're doing all the things that we did back in the late seventies and eighties. Right. You know, they're bookmarking pages. They're just, they're going to town with these things. It, they didn't hold that didn't hold them in like a collector reverence. They were just like, these books are to be used, right? And it was so cool to see that, right? It was like, you know, your, your collector's mindset is, oh my God, please don't do that to a person. Well, whatever, have fun. <laughs> but uh, um, but that was that was that was really cool. Um and now they've moved on, they don't play one e I mean, every once in a I think they just I think Ben said they were going old school and they were playing one e the other night, but they've they've been mm-hmm. playing five e for the last five or six years. I mean, they moved on like most I think most people that age group, but uh, and then the, I think the coolest thing I ever got um, was actually fairly recently. Uh, Tom Tullis sent me a. <laughs> Is this safe for work? I, I'd be really careful. What he, yeah, when he sends the package, you'd be really careful. <laughs> uh, he's he has a manuscript of Moldvay's original like home rules before they wrote the basic expert set. So somehow he has a transcript of like his home rules the i think cooks anyway a bunch of the guys literally handwritten things and he he bound it all and got it printed and he sent sent me a copy of it um and it was it's absolutely fascinating i mean handwritten you know charts that all line drawn by hand right (laughs) and it's uh it's kind of a version of dnd that they played before they put it all into final form in 82 or whatever it was so putting you on the spot here uh, is there anything in it any like little rule or granule in it that you're like oh wow that's that there's all kinds of no there's all kinds of crazy shit in there i mean you could tell it it was like they said oh the original brown books these things are a mess let me compile it better right and and try to make it more organized uh and and by that said it's still this is all handwritten stuff it's not that well organized right (laughs) but it's composed better i think some of the sections i don't remember anything specifically you know um, it's been a while since I've looked at it. I think he sent it a year or two ago. And, uh, but just out of the, you know, out of, came out of nowhere. It didn't tell me it was coming. Nothing else. He showed up in the mail and I was like, oh, this is just, I'm unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, I, th- don't be fooled by Tom's crazy ass 
meme posting uh, <laughs> demeanor. He's really a good guy. He really is. So yeah, he won't like me saying that, but he is a good guy. So Jay, you're going to be on his naughty list for a year now. He loves our hobby. He loves our hobby. So he's got a war with my son, Ben anyway. So yeah, he's <laughs> calls him the insolent offspring. That's the only thing that's part of his name for him. So. Well, awesome. if uh, if you're out there listening and you want to write us uh, with you know remarks to what we're talking about, tell us about your own gaming stories, your own uh, favorite gaming gift that you were given or gave, uh, or just uh, just want to comment on the episode, uh, please do that. You can write us at thisolddungeon at gmail.com, or you can get on Facebook to the This Old Dungeon uh, Facebook page, and you can drop us a message there. We got two riders, and every every episode we give something away. Um, this time around, uh, I have a copy of uh, Levi Combs' uh, "The Howling Crater," and uh, we're gonna give that away to one of these two uh, winners uh, or riders. I mean, uh, so we need we'll say Jonathan since he was first will be an odd, and then Peter will be an even. Somebody want to do a die roll on this? Oh, here we go. All right. Well, I'll, I will run a D6 through my beer mug yes. die tower. <laughs> and it came out as a two. two. All right. So, Peter, uh, I'll get in contact with you and get your uh, address and we'll send you that. Thanks for writing in. And uh, kind of fitting. The Gonzo guy got kind of the Gonzo adventure. Yeah. yeah That's right. Into a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts, they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served. All right, so let's proceed to the main content here. We're going to be talking this old dungeon on a Shadowrun adventure called Harlequin. This old dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right, so uh, moment of truth. Did everybody get their uh, little vignette read for this one? I did. Yes. Yes. All right. Hey, great. We could discuss it then. I I was feeling bad that I didn't read the entire thing because I was really enjoying the pieces I read. Um, But I definitely read. I read two of the. I read the intro and then two of the adventures and then some summary stuff. So yeah. Yeah, I got. I got through. I think three of the adventures, uh, and then I kind of read very quickly. More skimmed. Uh, the ending of it all because i kind of wanted to see how it kind of came to a close but it, it was interesting but man i, I gotta say man it, it i guess i'm just becoming adhd or something but it was hard for me to read because it's like so thick with content like like i found myself kind of have to put it down come back put it down come back do you want to give the big picture on it first before sure. we yammer too much or yeah. uh if you guys have details to throw in you know just just throw them in as we go here but uh so this adventure is called harlequin it's actually a collection of adventures a uh, little uh you know small missions that kind of feed together to tell a bigger story and it's actually only part one of the story uh it came out in 1990 for the first edition of Shadowrun. 
Uh, it's got a collection of writers. The uh, the head writer, or, or I guess you could maybe say editor, project manager, I don't know, is Thomas Dowd. Now, this this is the weird thing that I, I did not know but can totally see uh, in retrospect. So uh, Thomas Dowd came from uh, Villains and Vigilantes with uh, Jeff D. Uh, they they kind of created that. He goes on to work uh, for Fossa doing the Shadowrun thing. And then guess what system he goes on to help create? Any ideas? I don't know because I, I I do not. So it, it, it sort of feels like Shadowrun when you think about it. He goes on to write Vampire the Masquerade. Okay. He, huh. he was in on it, making the, the rules for it. And the rules are very similar as far as like how the, the, the dice pooling works dice and pools stuff like that. And, yeah. But uh, yeah. in retrospect, it's now like so obvious to me. People get mad, mad when I just say he failed upwards, but no, that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so he goes on to do that. But uh, so he, he's he's editing this project. Uh, other writers, we, we've got uh, Ken St. Andre from Tunnels and Trolls. Uh, there's Paul Hume of Aftermath fame. Uh, Lester yeah. Smith, who did Twilight 2000 and some Traveler stuff. Uh, W.G. Uh, Armantrout, uh, who did a ton of GURPS books. Uh, Jerry Epperson, who did uh, the original Marvel and DC, uh, that's that's the Mayfair DC RPGs. Uh, Sam Lewis, uh, who went on to work on the Cartoon Network and did a bunch of uh, video game projects, including a bunch of Star Wars titles. Uh, so this is really like a who's who of writers uh, in, in their early uh, stages of development or middle stages of development. Uh, so that, for me, was just kind of really cool to kind of see where these guys were it's, at it's, at that point. It's incredibly cool. It's, it's full of people who were extremely successful. Honestly, all of them at great levels of success. I'm just joking with the vampire, by the way, because <laughs> um, his work is fantastic and everything he does, obviously. But um, it's interesting. These were all non – these are all people who came from the non-D&D non-TSR bloodline, yeah. right? These, they did not emanate from there. They, these all came from, these guys all started in different things and moved, moved through gaming and, you know, eventually went to wherever they went, um, different levels of success, but are not part of that, you know, sprung out of that, that TSR well necessarily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think, I think is fascinating. I mean, there's a whole bunch, I mean, none of these guys are really of any connection there. And some of them are extremely successful. Then I guess uh, sort of on the on the story side, um, big picture, this is kind of a, a wand of seven parts. Uh, basically, <laughs> yeah. the you know the Shadow Runners, each of these adventures, they are going to it's, it's they're going to acquire a thing, and each of the things is part of a ritual uh, in the not necessarily magical sense, but I think also in the magical sense, uh, in a ritualized revenge. Uh, yes. So they're actually working for the person who is conducting the revenge. And of course they don't know it because that's the whole point of Shadowrun. Um, and so I thought it was a really nice, simple, solid way to connect a bunch of Shadowrun adventures because Shadowrun is almost always, you know, a heist of some sorts. Go get something, go destroy something. It's mostly go get Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so the fact that they're able to tie that into a big storyline and then the, the, this is set up so that you actually are supposed to run this interlaced with whatever your rest of your home campaign is. So you could imagine these seven or eight, uh adventures interspersed among 20 adventures so a year or so maybe 
yeah, a year or so of gameplay probably with this slow build because one of the things that is kind of fun is that in Adventure 2 and so on, you gather the new thing, but you also deliver the old thing to a certain place. And so there's the chance that you'll eventually, I mean, the chance at some point, you know, the players are going to try are going to open the box that they're delivering. They're going to figure <laughs> stuff out. And yeah. so I think that, that narrative framework, I really enjoyed a lot. And I think there's a lot of use there for, you know, when we get to the, this whole dungeon part, there's definitely some fun to be had there. I think I, I reached out well, to Tom well, because I mean, this is just an amazing, uh, uh, quilt work when when you look at it i mean like how did he get all these different writers to propose and develop these different adventures and still have them make sense and still have them fit into this paradigm of revenge now i will grant it we'll talk more about it later but the the revenge uh ritual or whatever this this thing this elven ritual called the the chal han is a little kooky <laughs> it's got some weird parts to it <laughs> yeah. but you know uh, but it's still, it's just a masterwork of, you know, make all these things link to each other and have, you know, telltale signs back and forth with what's going on uh, until this story spread out, you know, like you said, over a year and a half interlaced. I mean, that's that's pretty wild. So, yeah, Kip, go back to your overview and the whole name of the adventure, Harlequin, the, there, there's two elves that essentially are, you know, thousands of years old and they hate each other. One is named Harlequin and he is he is the the quote unquote guy behind the PCs, but they don't know it. And the other guy's name is Arlen. Uh, Aaron. Aaron, the, the scribe or something. Yeah, Aaron. And, and heart and right. So there's this, there's this, the elves have this, um, this ritual, they call it, of getting revenge on their most hated enemies. But the whole premise of it is that you're not supposed to know who's doing it or that it's even happening to you. So that, that's and the other thing is there's there's two versions of it. There's the uh, the Chalhan Chi and the Chalhan Si, and the Chi is like a playful revenge, and the Si ends in the person's death, and they both look yes, alike till the very end. So they're kind of like not knowing what's coming. Or am I, am I are they out to kill me, or right. are they just playing a prank? You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and obviously, so what we have going on here is the the uh, Shadow Runners are. Are are performing these MacGuffin adventures that lead up to the final revenge scene, and there's there's one where the scribe guy kind of figures out something's going on, and he tries to turn the tables and that kind of thing. So it it's a very well done adventure. Uh, adventures, but the key to it is is as kind of as we discussed here is you would not want to run these concentrically. Yeah. You you definitely would want to use them as like side quest stuff in your ongoing campaign to get the most out of this adventure. I mean, you could obviously just run them straightforward, boom, boom, boom in a row and, and run it that way if you wanted to. But I think it definitely takes away from the whole concept of this, which is very, very cool. You don't see this done very often um, because it's, again, it's, it's hard to sell to people saying, Hey, buy this adventure, but it's going to take you two years to run it um, because. <laughs> and you have to have another, you don't want, you don't another year's. Yeah, right, you have to have another yeah. year's worth of stuff to, yeah. to intersperse yeah. with it. And got, it's a yeah. part one. So, it's it's not even yeah, good. and it's, this is only part one. <laughs> right. Um, but um was it was it published as a part yeah. one or did they come up with it? Yeah. Okay. So it, yeah, it was it, it was, was always intended um, to have a sequel. And it, it, from what I'm understanding, it was a lot like um uh the uh, village homlet sort of thing where they did this yes. and then everyone's expecting, oh, okay, well, you know, the sequel's coming, the sequel's coming, and then like multiple years later. 
uh, Harlequin's Back is the name of the sequel to it uh, comes out. Yeah. Because I didn't uh, I didn't get the impression as I was reading the intro and I may have just missed it, but I didn't get the impression that it was a that it was initially like I think they bury it in the back of the book somewhere. It's it's in there. I saw yeah. Um, but this came out in uh, by the way, this came out. So this is first edition Shadowrun is what it was written for. Uh, first edition Shadowrun came out in 1989. Um, we actually played it. Uh, it was one of the other role playing games we do- we dove into. Our group loved it. Um, I think it's a cool system. It's a D6 system, and it is a um, now I, I don't remember it that great, but it's a uh, it's you're a success to hit certain target based. numbers. You're trying to hit target numbers and roll for certain numbers. Right, you're rolling a pile of dice, and yes, some of them are yeah, sixes or fives or whatever, whatever, and some of them are. Yeah, and you you add and subtract your successes from a people's ability to inhibit your success rolls and that kind of thing, and everything's based on that. What are the uh, cool yeah, elements of the mechanic? Car- um that i that i found interesting is like you can have a target number above a six because if you roll a six you get to roll the die again and add it to it so yes that that's kind of yes. clever yeah it, it's 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 a cool system this again it's just first edition and this came out i think in 1990 if i remember yeah not, not, won the uh, origins right. award for a uh, best role-playing yeah. adventure yeah it's it, it's 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 great and i know we're going to dive into it so we each took a uh, we each took an adventure here. So, oh, if you're not familiar with Shadowrun, so which well, I guess we're just assuming everybody is, uh, Shadowrun is based in the far future. Uh, so you've got high tech stuff and all that, but you also have elves, trolls, orcs, magic running around. Um, yep, yeah. So you have magic essentially and technology, uh, kind of mixed together to form. And it's post. It's post apocalyptic as well. Post apocalyptic. Like not all shattered. the cities are around. Like. It most, I mean, Shadowrun essentially the home campaign is kind of designed to always set off in Seattle. I think it yeah. is, but yeah, that's the that's the kind of world you know, and it's high tech. It, yeah, and it's basically a fetch. Each time you have a Mr. Yeah. Johnson, you, know, you, you pull you in, you, you start in the yes. tavern, right? Mr. Johnson says, "Hey, I've got this job for you. We're going to pay you this much money, and you're going to go bring me this thing or wipe Shadow this just clean or whatever it is." Yes, are essentially yeah. you're, you're a mercenary group. You're 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 always you're not, unlike a D and D adventure party, which is questing itself to go find and get wealthy and, and that kind of thing then occasionally doing stuff other people hire you to do Shadowrun is is almost exclusively your group as a mercenary group being hired yeah. out to go kill someone steal something or both and, and super episodic i could imagine yes. you know if you're especially yeah. in the old days when we played you know say eight hours or six hours or whatever uh it would easily be an adventure on a given day, like yeah. Saturday, we're yeah. going to do a shadow. We're going to do a heist. Okay, great. Done. Yeah. Next, next yeah. week we can do another one. And they don't, yeah. I feel like they would not necessarily have had a lot of connection. There, there was not. And that's the kind of the fascinating thing about this product is, is it, is there is a, a campaign esque style to this. Yeah. This yeah. product, which is very unusual against, again, for Shadowrun. We did not play the game forever. We played first edition. I don't think second edition came out a couple, two, three years, four yeah. years later, maybe it stopped by that point, never picked it up again. Um, I think I've only played once since then at a con- convention 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but a cool side thing is that uh, who has it now? Is it uh, Catalyst? I think that's correct. It's got, they're, they are re-releasing Shadowrun 1st Edition. I don't know oh, if they're, right. crowd- yep. I don't know if they're yep. crowdfunding. I'm sure they're doing some sort of internal crowdfund or something like that, but they are re-releasing Shadowrun 1st Edition, which I would be absolutely interested in getting. It's a, it's actually a are, gorgeous rulebook, by the way. 
Do you know, are they re-releasing it as is, or is it getting yes. a little spit and polish? No, it's just okay, it's a literal re-release. I think Seattle runs on seventh or eighth edition right now, but they're they're basically reprinting the first edition okay. hardcover book. Which I would have said I fifth think, edition is where they're at, but maybe yeah, there are seven or eight. Sets. I think eighth now, edition. I, wow. eight, yeah. yeah, they're they're down the road. I got I'm not that touch with it, um, but I, I it's a it's a actually it's a gorgeous rule book if you've never seen it. Uh, they did a really nice job. It's put together really well. Um, uh, I'm going to, if it comes out, I'm, I'm absolutely going to grab one, uh, just because I love that nerd culture back from then too. So, uh, great art, just, uh, it was uh, in a way ahead of its time. I mean, it put, it put D and D second edition to shame. I'll tell you that. <laughs> cool. So did we start? So the, the sections have got, uh, physical hates, past loves, counterstroke, yep. spiritual future present, um, so, and those are sort of the stages of the revenge as defined by the elf culture. Um, I know I I read uh, Hates and Past. Did any of you do physical? I did physical. Okay, well, why don't you start off? Sure. Uh, so physical is just what we talked about, is a fetch quest. The uh, Shadowrunners are hired. I can't remember what the guys that hire Shadowrunners. Fixers? Yeah. Mr. Johnson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, fixers. They're usually hired by a fixer. So you never know who's actually hiring you. So they're hired to uh, infiltrate this building and they need to delete a bunch of files from their co computer housed in the building and their internal net and all that, but steal a physical manuscript of this book, right? Mankind something or other. Uh, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me. You know, and on the surface, it's just a, hey, go steal this one of a kind artifact for me, you know, that's what I'm looking for, but I don't want any other copies that exist in the world. So I want you to delete it from their, their computer system. So that's what they're tasked to do. Uh, this was written by, I think Ken St. Andre. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it is a Nakatomi Plaza <laughs> kind of like this kind of thing. Right. So you're, you're going in there, uh, but it's occupied. So you got to get past, it's just very shadow running. You know, you can, you can go in there guns blazing, or you can go in there using all your different skill trees and that kind of thing to talk your way up to the level you need to get to or the basement i can't remember where it's at delete everything you know basically put a virus in the computer so delete it all and then steal the book and get out it really is that simple this is not a complex adventure it's only three or four pages five six maybe five six pages long it's not that complex uh there's a couple of good maps for it not really that many compelling npcs uh but they do a really good job of saying hey you know you're in an elevator and a bunch of orcs get on with you that kind of thing you know, and, and put you in a unique situation, you know, that's really about it. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. And this, this book thing is the first step in Harlequin's revenge plan, right? He needs it for the next, the next one, which I did not, which is hate, I think, right? I don't think I read that. I might have yeah, I, I read part of physical. And one of the things I found interesting that it, Shadowrun has this thing that people complain about called the, the, uh, what is it? The pizza problem where like, yes, there's, there's these characters called Deckers that can go oh, basically yeah. into the computer realm. Yep. And the problem would always be that when they do that, everybody else is sitting there twiddling their thumbs. Everyone while... else is sitting around the table doing nothing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I, I like this one because they, they try to get around that by like splitting it. Cause there's the physical book. You got to go find the safe and yes. break into and get. And then there's the digital copy that the Decker or anybody like that character has to go into the computer realm and get, and the computer realms kind of decorated up to be this like, medieval fantasy world where the different castle kind of thing yeah. servers are, yeah. are looked at as castles and it, things like that you're you're right and they put enough physical foes in here to keep 
to keep everyone busy yeah. and occupied, you know, while the Decker could be doing his thing, a fight could be going on. So, uh, because you're right, Lou, the, the one thing like that put, I think puts everyone off with shadow run is, is that kind of thing. Like one character kind of gets almost takes over a situation for like, a, a, it could be, it could be a long time. And, and um, that was the same prop cyberpunk had the exact same freaking problem. Um, great games. Don't get me wrong, but um but you're right. They, uh, but there's, I think, enough going on to keep everyone active uh, while the other thing is going on, right? So I can't remember um, if we mentioned it or not, but this problem. this other elf, the Aaron or however you say his name, the scribe, Aaron the scribe. Yeah, this is his like masterpiece. This book that you're stealing. It yes. hasn't been published yet, but it's like you know, just moment, you know, a month or something away from being published, and you're trying to. But again, the Shadowrunners wouldn't know any of this, right? Yeah. They just. They're just told yeah. it's a book and it's going to launch it. So there's the whole thing about this whole adventure pattern or adventure series is they really don't, they just think they're performing menial mundane. Right. And, they're, and they would be used run. to not knowing why they're doing things. Cause that's yeah. part of the code is you're not going to ask your, your fixer. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Nope, we're just going to do it. We're not going to tell anyone we're going to get it done. Yeah. Um, I feel like the second one, the hates, which is one of the ones I read uh, really, puts a spotlight on the lack of morality that the <laughs> shadow runners are expected to have uh, in this one. So I guess a group run by, so there's a group of people pretending to be elves who are trying to bring back the purity of elves. I didn't understand that. And I assume it's, you know, well mm -hmm. in the shadow run lore and that if we'd read the, you know, the 3000 pages of shadow run <laughs> lore, we'd be all up on this. Um, but there's this group and the shadow runners are supposed to go in and kill the six leaders um, and get their fake ears. So they all, all of these fake elves wear fake ear caps so that they look like elves. <laughs> and I assume they all know that they're posers. And I don't, I didn't understand the politics, but it doesn't matter. And the shadow runners don't need to necessarily understand either. Uh, they're supposed to break into their uh, their meeting hall, come residence, and yeah, and find and and kill those uh, those leaders. And there's some interesting stuff in terms of uh, nope, maybe I'm confusing this one with past. Um, yes, yeah, so they basically can either sneak into the meeting as also as fake elves, or they can try to go in as a real elf. And they talk about how it'd be harder to pretend to be a fake elf if you're a real elf, and people would probably figure that out. Uh, and I thought that was sort of funny. Uh, a real elf might have a problem passing himself off as a poser. If discovered, he will be either honored or attacked, depending on his reputation. <laughs> um, and basically, this group is really trying to promote a traditional forest-loving, sword-swinging style of elf. And they don't like the idea of elves mixing with everybody else and adopting technology, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so that's but so it's basically a murder mission, and then they're supposed to uh, leave the manuscript that they found that they took. You know, so they're given a thing to deliver also and put on, I think, on the body of one of them, and that is the manuscript that they took in the previous one. Um, so the the guy, the elf, is going to get back presumably his manuscript, but he now knows that somebody took it and is giving it back to him. So that sort of will put him on to the knowledge that there's something well, going if I remember on. Right, the ear thing 
and again, players have no knowledge of this. And, and that's one of the things I, I really feel is is somewhat weak in this whole structure is, is there's a lot of interesting background details that you as a game master are going to have to really work hard to massage into the into yeah. the uh, availability of, of the players' minds. Um, but um, if I remember right, like the two elves fought long ago in uh, in – I can't remember which one did it. One of them struck off the ear of the other one in a sword duel. I can't yeah. remember if it was Harlequin yeah. that lost the ear or Aaron. I think it was Aaron, but but at any rate, it might so not have been clear the significance there also. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I agree with you that yeah, trying to somehow tie all that together is is going to be tricky. And then that is followed up by past p a s t. Uh, where which I also read. Hey, can we where go back are... to hate for a minute? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah, they yeah. have some sort of experience award for like like cutting off the elf ear tips or something? That's like the that? goal. That's yeah, they are yeah, that is right? one of the one of the goals is cutting off experience points for that, right? So yes, yes. Yeah, yes. very fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I did I did literally scalping. Yeah, yeah. Apocalypse literally now. Scalping. Who doesn't love it? You know? <laughs> There's a there is a character that they run into that is sick of what this effectively this terrorist group that they've that the shadow so the shadow runners are going against this terrorist group yeah and one of them is uh sick of sick of what the terrorist group has been doing and so there's a chance to leave her alive and sort of make an ally and uh do some stuff and there's also a kid in the who has nothing to do with anything so there are in this one unlike what you had said bill for the uh for physical there are some interesting npc interactions and there's some yeah branches that could easily play out into other adventures that are not part of this campaign. So if you were interspersing this, I could easily see tying it in really nicely where you make friends with this, this, this woman that you save. Um, and then there's some connection with her and some completely different adventure. So I think there's some, that that was actually pretty nice for this one for uh, hates. And then for past, what I liked was that you get to go to uh, Germany, to Bavaria, uh, which kind of blew my mind because I haven't played a lot of Shadowrun, but it's always, you know, it's always West Coast US. This and, is very unusual. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, wow, it, it just blew my mind. Like, oh, of course, of course we could have a Shadowrun. And, you know, so they talk about air travel and they talk about how that works and uh, how the security systems work on on airplanes and or on high high orbit static i don't remember what it was some some basically airplanes um but there you're going to a castle uh to steal a, a book on the occult and of course drop off some ear tips uh <laughs> you know a box with with some ear tips in it and uh and that that seemed really fun i thought from a player perspective i think it would be fun to have this new world open up and to get some travel in and to um and but although there is a little bit of a and i they set it up nicely but there's basically a one of the things i feel like if you're going to railroad the player characters or the players you want to start the adventure with the railroad in the past right so you have agreed to do x y and z you are on a plane you are you know don't don't give them the the pretend opportunity just say okay this is where we're at you're on the plane you're flying to bavaria this is what's gone down did you want to do any research before okay great here's your whatever and i thought these adventures did a reasonably nice job of setting that up of 
putting putting all that stuff in the past to say, okay, now we're excited. We are doing the thing. And uh, and this this is one of them. And it has one counter on the airplane, uh, which is basically a red herring that could easily end up with a lot of dead, uh, <laughs> a lot of dead characters. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then they go on. And have to break into the castle and, you know, do their. Yeah, I go back to that. Or, or, uh, Edwin, I am a big fan of you wake up naked in a bus stop. I'm not going to explain to you how you got there. We're just there. So right. I like yep. how they, I agree with you. Set up, put them on the plane. You're already, you're, this is already happening. So, yeah. So that was, um, that was passed. And then we're probably skipping forward a little bit. What'd you look at Lou? Uh, the first one that I did an in-depth look at was counterstroke. Okay. So if nobody has one before that, then... that's definitely a near the end. No. Okay. No, I, I didn't all you know. So Counter-Stroke is uh, this idea within this this dance of uh, revenge or whatever that um, the person you're getting revenge against uh, has an opportunity to to strike back at you. But it's got some weird rules to it where they're not allowed to kill the people that you're using as your pawns to get the revenge. But again, characters, players, they have no knowledge of this, so whatever. But yeah. uh, the idea is that uh, Aaron has uh, gotten this air elemental bound, this, this air elemental into service. Um, she takes the form of a, a mysterious uh, woman who is consistently throughout like every page, constantly uh, being referred to as a knockout. Like, wowza, she is so beautiful. <laughs> your, your characters are so randy over this lady. You know, I mean, it, it's a little uncomfortable. I don't know. But uh so uh, the deal is um, they, they get set up to uh, to to collect this gal and uh, they go to do this extraction mission. It's all been set up so that uh, Aaron can can, you know, basically grab them up uh, that they, they, the the oh, what are they called? The police of this uh, world, whatever they're called. They, they oh, uh, oh, ah, shit. Lone Star, the Lone Star troops. Lone Star, yeah. yes. So uh, they, they rush in. Uh, this has all been set up. The lady you're supposed to extract has been drugged, and she's not like even in her right senses. And uh, you're in the middle of this massive firefight. You know, uh, copter in the air shooting down at you, and this white van pulls up with this knockout lady in it and says, "Hey, come with me, boys." Uh, and of course, you get in the van because it's a little railroady. Uh, it does. It, it gives you opportunities to not get in the van. But uh, everything leading up to what's going to happen uh, is like, you know, this won't work because of that. And that won't work because of this. And, you know, there's only a 10 percent chance. It's just like, you know, just at that point, you do need to do what Edwin was saying that happened in the other ones and just tell them, look, these things happen. Now you're here instead of, you know, that illusion of choice or possibility when it's really not there. So anyhow, long story short, you get in the van, she gets you out of there, but then these uh, gas uh, canisters go off, knock you out. You you wind up literally naked in a prison cell at, yes. at this uh, little villa. Uh, so now this is where the brilliance of this comes in. Um, so you're there and there's this like um, uh, doctor torture guy that uh, is there, Dr. Watt, uh, which they do this whole, you know, who's on first bit with. Uh, you know, he starts by saying, what is my name? You know, and, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. Little Gonzo uh, to go back to that theme. But uh, the brilliance is, is he starts asking the players, the characters questions about the previous missions. 
And so if this was played out correctly, at this point, it's suddenly revealed that these things have something in common, and this guy knows the common peg to it all. Um, so I just thought that was brilliant, a way to bring all this seemingly unattached stuff together and to let the players know that it's, you know, yeah, these things are attached in case they've missed the beats previously, uh, and to give them access to a little bit of information of, you know, who's behind it all and what's going on. So they're 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 being interrogated and there's uh you know certain rules for escaping and whatnot. Uh there's also this uh this troll that's a, one of the main bodyguards, uh, and he uh, has this brother who's who's kind of described as basically being uh, mentally handicapped. Now, I don't know how I feel about that, and I guess you don't really even have to, you know, uh, you, you don't have to declare that he's mentally handicapped. He, he's just a person with some peculiarities or whatever, but he's kind of like a little kid in in his mind. And uh, long story short, the characters, while they're imprisoned, have a chance to befriend him, and then that allows them a chance to have his bigger brother, who's one of the main bodyguards, help them out later on in the escape attempt. Um, another neat thing uh, within this encounter is if they escape and they're exploring the, the villa, um, there's several things in the villa that can also help put the story together. Like there's uh, some paintings on the wall that that uh, show Aaron and show the, the knockout lady, the air elemental uh and, and kind of, I guess she's been with him, you know, these elves, of course, live for thousands of years. And this is this plot's been in motion for thousands of years. So there's like paintings of her with him at different eras of humanity, you know, going back to the Renaissance and whatnot. Um, so uh, it seemed to me it was pretty good. It's got some some nice rules for like being held at gunpoint and what your chances are of doing anything, you know, with that condition has some uh, areas where both like magical characters can do some things like when she interacts and, and reveals that she's an air elemental and goes into that form. Um, so yeah, overall it's pretty good. And again, I really thought it was just ingenious to have that interrogator be the key to, to putting everything together. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's see. The, uh, seemed like there's one thing I've forgotten. Oh, um, and this kind of just goes for shadow run in general. But I like how they have uh, developed their own curse words. So like in Shadowrun, <laughs> curse words are like frag, chummer, drek, drekhead. Uh, and it's like every curse word has like a parallel word for it in Shadowrun. I, I think that's kind of fun because then you can you can have, you know, open, open play at a comic book store or whatever and be yelling out curse words that nobody yeah. takes offense to and it still kind of keeps in the in the uh you know hard-edged action movie kind of feel of the thing um yeah other than that so did you look at another one or yeah, this but, was uh, the other one i read was the spiritual one so i think i think that might oh, cool. be the next okay. one next actually one. i can't remember next one yeah order wise yeah. yep so in that one the goal is to strike out at the person's spirit something representing their you know their their heart and soul i guess i don't know um, so the deal is that uh, this Aaron has this plantation greenhouse kind of thing in the Amazon that grows these, you know, it's extremely uh, rare orchids. And uh, you're basically hired to go break into that and steal a flower and, and leave behind some evidence, which happens to be the data chip from a previous, you know, one of these modules that, that kind of it's I think it's the one that has the virus on it that uh, wiped out the book to begin with. The thing I, I didn't like about this one is there, there's literally like two and a half pages of what they call um, tell it to them straight. 
And so this is part oh, of the yeah. setup of this book. There's a section called Tell It to Him Straight, which I really don't understand how to use quite right because it, it, it sort of reads like a novel, but I think it's intended to be exposition you read out loud, but yet there are things in it that, like, like in this particular one, there's some sequences that take place with these tribes that are in the Amazon, but you don't really have that happen unless you run into them on a random encounter. So at any rate, it's like two and a half pages talking about like, oh, this dude takes you up in this airplane and then they take you to this island. And then this this person this island boats you over to this other place. And then you take an airplane from that place to this place. And there's all these cool details and all this. And as a novel, it works out really well. But like, I can't imagine any any players staying checked in long enough to enjoy that. Uh, so you'd either have to make that a playable session or, or cut it down some um, to where, you know, you just tell them, oh, through a means of many different, you know, transfers of plane to plane, boat to plane, you make it to this spot. Uh, so you, you eventually make it, you know, dropped off in the Amazon uh, about 16 kilometers away from where you're going. And of course, like, like I said, there's uh, a chance to run into two different tribes. And I looked into and these are these are actual tribes of the Amazon. I don't know how well they're uh, you know, culturally, you know, uh, demonstrated here in the in the game book. Um, uh, the the uh, there's one of them that's basically set up to be the good Indians, and one that's set up to be the bad Indians. And uh, you know, culturally, that, that, that probably gives you your answer right there as to how, how well. well they're so, in, in fairness, the the stuff I could find online, and you know, granted, that's a pretty shallow uh, you know, research just looking online, but um. So the uh, I got this written down somewhere. So the Amahasa maybe is how it's said. Um, they're the they're set up to be the good Indians, and they're kind of the native people of the the Amazon uh, basin. Uh, and they'll they like invite the characters in, have like a cultural you know uh, meal with them, and that sort of thing. Most of the stuff I could look up on that seemed to kind of fit with what really are their traditional foods and whatnot. And then the quote unquote bad Indians, the uh, Havaros. Um, they are, you know, historically, uh, they were head hunting natives. They they do, uh, you know, collect uh, heads of warriors and some of the spiritual things that it described in the book uh, were seemingly actual beliefs that they had. Um, but basically these, the Havaros, uh, they're like in line with Aaron. He like knows them and has impressed them with his warrior abilities or whatever. And so they kind of work for him. You know, they look out for him there in the jungle. Uh, so at any rate, Long story short, uh, if you can make it through the native encounters and, and make good judgments there, you can make it to the villa. Uh, the villa is a basic break-in scenario. It's got this big electric fence. It's got you know all these workers in it and guards and whatnot. Um, you get into the greenhouse, and there's this big demon dog, this Vargast, that is uh, basically the guard dog of the, the garden there. Uh, so you got to deal with that, steal the plant put the microchip in, but then you got to figure out a way out. They, they don't have any extraction for you. You got to find your own way out. There's both a helicopter and a plane within this villa. And uh, depending on what you take, if you take the plane, the, the mercenaries at the villa will track you down with the helicopter and it's armed. So you're pretty much going to be blown out of the sky. If you take the helicopter uh, or the plane, either way, if you make it far enough, um, the, uh, the uh, Havaros have done a ritual to summon uh, storm spirits and so in the sky, there's all these storm spirits <laughs> that are shooting lightning at you and blowing you off course and stuff. And so your magician has to do something about that, or you got to figure some way out of that. And that's kind of the, the long and short of that one. Cool. So I what's think it's the, interesting uh, again that 
you're you're in a a fascinating location, yes. right? You're not yeah a standard um shadow run location. You're just you're somewhere else. Not even urban. It, yeah. It, yeah. No, and and it, it, I I think what I really like about that is is they do such a nice job of moving these locations around that it keeps that mystery of what is really going on here alive and well, right? Because it's it's really never the same thing twice. It's not just like you said, that urban environment is just, uh, it's fast. I like the way they do that. One thing it didn't have that I really thought was going to come, but didn't come is I thought there's going to have to be this thing where you have to like, keep the orchid alive. Like you got like transplant it in a little Mm. pot and you got to make sure it doesn't like break or get damaged. (laughs) I thought, you know, that just sets up again, going back to the Gonzo theme, sets up a fun little thing and having one character protecting this potted plant while everyone else is throwing grenades. (laughs) While the storm fire. There's an interesting bit of trivia. I noticed when I was flipping through it originally, um, the girl who's kind of the key to everything later in the in the adventure, her name is Jane Foster. Foster. Yeah, Thor. who is Thor's <laughs> girlfriend. I thought the same thing. So one of the things I, I didn't think of at the time, but actually as you were talking about uh, Counter-Stroke, I think, Lou, and you were talking about the time scale of all this, is it this would be a fun adventure series to port into something that has time travel available because there's really no reason that the elf should try to get their revenge on a human time scale right so this obviously all is going to take place within i don't know a year but really it could take place over 500 years or something like that and so thinking about a either time travel in the sense of actual time travel or in the sense of you play different characters over time, you know, or, you you Mm -hmm. know, so that in some way you're, you're seeing this because I feel like that would make it a more epic, uh, a more epic adventure, the sense that this is a 500 year revenge and it's a real slow boil (laughs) somehow. Um, But that was, uh, one thought I had on the other ones I thought of earlier was actually thinking about since I don't get the opportunity to, I don't think I've never run shadow run and I don't know it well enough to run it without a lot of work. Uh, I started of course, thinking about what other systems I might run this type of thing in and how I might change it in order to fit that system. And I was thinking, you know, in call of Cthulhu, it's harder to have them do the fetch quest, but it would be possible because they would be trying to avert something or get some information or what, you know, they have to be sort of driven more from their own internal desires than from a Mr. Johnson. But the idea still of having a slow build towards a ritual where they're either wittingly or unwittingly uh, making this thing happen. And what does that mean when you get to the final scene in a, in a more, um real today you know in a 1920s or 2000 whatever whenever mm-hmm. it takes place um that i sort of trying to think about that and how how it would be a cosmic revenge scenario in some sense and that seemed kind of fun and then i was also thinking of it uh basically as the uh you know the rod of seven parts right they've just got to go and get all these things and put them together or do do these steps in order to and then either you know i feel like with this sort of thing in the shadow run world there's no i think it's assumed that there's no sort of moral 
edge to the, you know, your mercenaries are going to do your thing, whatever it is, who cares? Uh, whereas if you bring it into sort of a D&D world, then there tends to be a desire to be the good guys in most tables in some way. And at least, you know, yeah. if, as long as it doesn't interfere with getting rich. Um, and so there I was thinking about, you know, when do the adventurers, when do the player characters realize that what they're doing is going to either cause a problem or maybe they're actually on the right side of the revenge and it's okay. Or, you know, like where, where, where does their moral agency come into this adventure and how does that make it more interesting? If, if that's feasible somehow, you know, what happens? So if they, if they do the first four of these and then realize that this is a problem is are we then flipping the rest of them around where their job is to stop somebody Nobody else from that. doing the subsequent ones? You know, how's that all? Uh, do they then go work for Harlequin or, you know, or sorry, work for uh, er- Erlon? Um, you know, how does that all sort of flip around? I think those are would all be fun things to play with in terms of remaking this as a different campaign. So I, yeah, I, I looked at it the way you did too, Edwin. It's like, what other rule system could I use this for? um because you know it's hard to this old dungeon something like like this um because they're just so small and they're standalone pieces you know how would you tweak each you could tweak any of these do absolutely absolutely right and you can and i think you can insert the um many of these small adventures into several other types of game systems including call of cthulhu or a superhero role-playing game for example for me you know older game like top secret i mean you could that's that's exactly where my mind went looking through this is like if I never play this again or never played in the first place, uh, I've got eight different adventures full of great schematics for buildings that are yes. detailed specifically for security purposes. Be yep. great for a spy yep. game. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of where I went with it. Um, and, you know, it does make you put your thinking cap on because we do, we do tend to be D and D centric. Like w- would this idea of a campaign be interesting in D and D and it could be, but right but that's only the, the overall idea. The, the the book itself, the individual adventures aren't going to be real helpful because it's all modern. It's, you know, face it or, or advanced Post, modern. Postmodern, yeah. Postmodern, yeah. So um, so it's, I don't think terribly helpful there. But I I think if I were to do this, um, as long as I had an elf character, um, player character in the group, I would make the elf character the Harlequin character. And the rest of the like let the one PC in on it. Hmm. Like, Hey, your character's actually got this secret revenge thing he's doing and you're going to use all your buddies to help do it, but we're not telling them and you're not going to tell them. So hmm. instead of there being a Harlequin, the Harlequin is one of the PCs. That's amazing. Um, okay. And you would have a bunch of side adventures through and, you know, he would know what's going on or she would know what's going on, but nobody else would. Um, and, you know, if they would be willing to do that, right. Obviously. But, I think that's kind of one twist I would throw on it um, in that, it, it, you know, I don't, I'm not always a big lover of the overarching NPC running everything in the world and that kind of thing. So um, it works fine, obviously in this, but uh, uh, I don't know. I, I think that would be kind of fun or even really put it, you know, put it on its head and have the elf be the subject of the revenge. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about is it, what happens so, if you have a series yeah. of weird and unpleasant yeah. things happen to the party 
where first, you know, there's something, their, their pet cat is stolen in one adventure. Right, right, right. And then, you know, a month later. Uh, well, they could even be contributing to it, right? They unknowingly right. be performing Absolutely. these missions, which to the detriment of one of their own friends. So yeah. I, I think that's kind of how I would go. I would definitely try to internalize this more because uh, I do like it. It's, it is a, it is a, I was not familiar with it. Uh, we did, our group did not own this book or play through this book at all. So this was my first view of it. And this is a, it's a great product. I mean, it really is. It's worth picking up. Um, I can do the bill that you can get it on drive through. I think it's eight bucks. Uh, you cannot yeah. get a print version on drive through on oddly enough. They have not set it up for that. So if you want a print version, you're going to have to find one on the secondhand market somewhere. I, I looked around cause I do like, I like having my physical <laughs> copies. I just, I just did not get myself time to do it with this podcast. Um, you could get them on eBay. There's some available, you know, you're going to pay 30 or 40 bucks for it though. They don't, they don't seem to go cheap. Yeah. Um, and I, maybe Noble Knight might've had one too. I, I can't remember. I just didn't think mm -hmm. I could get it. So I didn't order myself one, but I, I tell you what, if I ever come across one, I'm not going to hesitate to pick it up because um, I know I have my PDF copy here and I can always read it. I'm just not that guy. If I don't have to have a computer in front of me, I don't. So, um, so I'll grab one, but I think it's a, it, it's definitely a useful tool, but I think from my point of this old dungeon, I, I didn't want to get into the, how would I, this old dungeon, every single little adventure in here. I think that's too much. Um, but I, I think I would, try and just try and concentrate the thing and, and bring the PCs into it knowingly or unknowingly. And if I have two elves, you could do it both ways. You could have one of them being the Harlequin guy. <laughs> then the other guy, you could have some real fun with this. So I think that's where I'm going with it. Um, I'll leave it up to you guys to say what else you want to do. Uh, but, or you could, like I said, you could, you could easily bring this in. I thought, you know, what are the rule system and champions came to mind real quick. I mean, you could do some really fun stuff with this with the, in a superhero game too, I think it would lend itself to that. Uh, yeah, that's it for part, me on this. I'm kind of like you guys. I, you know, um, the the one thing I would say is I, the the thing that it's all leaning on this this whole act of of revenge. I feel like it's a bit weak. Like it. First off, the sequence of events will not make any sense to anyone unless somehow they learn about this particular ritual of revenge, and then if if you do that, it feels so artificial. Like it feels so like, Oh, and there's a book about this Elven revenge. And it's, you know, I, I'm having a hard time finding a very natural way of laying that out. And then when you get to the end of the, the, the module, it's basically, you know, you're, you're playing around the outskirts of an NPC battle. Um, and that's not very fun. I don't feel like, uh, there, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of agency for the, the NPC or for the player characters at the end of the game. Um, well, they haven't formed an attachment to it, right? Or uh, right, they don't like, care. Yeah, they haven't built up any resentment toward anyone in particular through this whole thing. Yeah, no, they've just been getting paid, doing their work, getting paid. I mean, right? It's fine. Yeah, it's just individual little, you know, uh, vignettes all the way through, and there's nothing tying them, which is which is cool for the concept. But you said it breaks down, like you said, Lou, at the end yeah. to tie it all together. Well, and no, I wanted this to be a ritual to to summon a great old yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, something that's, yes. that's of importance. Yes. Otherwise, it's like, oh, we've been helping this guy get revenge. Cool, man. All right. Cool. <laughs> right. Or something completely right. Something like all these series of events that they they did. You know, the the Harlequin guy is is basing it for his little revenge thing, not realizing that something 
other something tip else something else happen, off right yes something yes. else some other sequence of events could turn into oh shit i didn't mean for this to happen at yeah. the end yeah i mean I and now see, they're all caught up if you dropped it into a fantasy setting yeah. and these were this was like maybe a you know, a outcast God getting revenge on one of the regular gods that might, you know, it's going to start this big yeah. war of the heavens kind of yeah. thing. That might be an or even this is how this is your revenge on someone. But by the way, it's going to summon me back to the world. Yeah, right. But, but yeah, overall, it's, it's, it's real fun read as far as like the ideas it's presenting. Some some interesting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, characters are presented throughout it. Uh, it's a bit of a long read. I can't remember if I already said this online <laughs> or not, but. Uh, Man, I had a hard time just reading straight through it because it's there's areas where the prose is really thick, and it's talking about things that are detached from my understanding. You know, I'm not within that that you know meta world of Shadowrun where I get what all they're talking about. So there'd be times I'd have to put it down, come back to it. But um, but lots of great, like I said, they I, they do a real good job of here's this extensive map of this villa, this factory, this whatever, and all the important things are detailed and very, you know, straightforward terms and nothing that you don't need is in there. Uh, so within, you know, two pages, you, you've got an entire complex ready to go and you could almost run it, you know, right out of the book without prep. So, And I, I thought um, that a lot of these would actually be pretty easy to translate almost as is into fantasy world in the sense, I mean, obviously you're going to change the lasers to, you know, something, yeah, yeah. some magical traps, but you know, it, it, it wouldn't take much. I don't think to just because of the way the shadow run world is already sort of a fantastical world. And you just, you know, you'd obviously need to change over the tech part, but you know, buildings are buildings. That's not a problem. And you know, Bavaria, they're going into a castle. There's, so I feel like, I feel like it wouldn't be too hard to, to re re, uh, reset this if you you know even using some of the details uh, almost as is well i absolutely think you can i mean i don't i agree with you there i just don't know i mean you might not i'm not yeah, yeah I'm not. I, I don't know that it would be the best application for it, i guess is all i'm thinking uh, absolutely no I, I agree i i like i think for me i like the idea of like i like the idea somehow of these being researchers you know so if i'm going to go into Call of Cthulhu. This is a research, you know, it's a, it's a PhD. It's a group of students who are working for a professor and they're going and gathering these things. And that all seems great. And they're getting all their honors and then they realize what they're doing and they have to stop it. You know, so there's this, the about face thing. I think the, yeah, tying it into something that is important to them other than just a paycheck, I think would make this a lot bigger. Yeah, I think it makes like we Lou brought up a good point. It's like the the payoff at the end. Right? Yeah, be, yeah. Where's the payoff? There, there really isn't much one for the players. They're just there's kind of along for the ride. And I know that's like again that's that's the theme of this thing. But there really got to be something in here to start bringing it home. Yeah. Cool. I think we I think we summed most of the stuff pretty well. It's a it's a big book by the way, people. I know we didn't say a picture on it's a uh, hundred and the 54. PDF is 154 pages, so yep. the book's probably 160, I would guess. Uh, so it is a, it, it like Lou said, this is not an easy read. You're not going to sit down and just casually read this book like a regular adventure module. There's a lot going on here. And it does make things sometimes a little challenging, too, when you have so many different authors. Every time you get to a new adventure ho- or adventure section, you've got a new style yep. of writing, in a way, coming through, too. Yep. So you're you're deviating all that. Plus, you've got the whole shadow run. They're not super familiar with Shadowrun rules, uh, especially the uh, 
the networking computer uh, angle of it, it gets a little techy. Good artwork, by the way. There's some cool artwork all the way through. Yep, definitely. Uh, varied artists. Uh, the cover, I would, well, that, that said, I think the cover sucks, to be absolutely honest <laughs> with you. If you, if you just just look at it for a minute or two, the I know what they're going for here, right? But um, the the depth, my depth perception of the face, Carl Kofitz, it's it's so flat. It doesn't even like one of the ears doesn't even look right. It looks like it's <laughs> it looks so two dimensional. It does not look like a three dimensional. Yeah, so the, the cover is just, just a picture of Harlequin's face, and he he kind of yeah, and it makes himself up. If you look at it for yeah. a minute or two, it, you're like, wait, this doesn't. It looks it's it's very two dimensionally instead of a three dimensional. And I think also I like it's a product of its time. Doesn't look quite right. Like you know, now there's there, the whole Joker things exploded so big. Oh uh, yeah. They, this is sure. kind of you know a little bit hammy, but at the it's time, I mean, yeah, yeah, there'd been yeah. the uh, the uh, Jack Nicholson Joker, but but that hadn't yeah. really become a oh the Joker face is so cool, clown faces are so cool. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're 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 kind of a victim of other people's success yeah. i guess in a way all right well i think uh, that'll be this old dungeon for this month we're going to squeak it in this will hopefully get uh launched out there into the into the world wide webs uh sometime before the 31st so uh here at the Woo-hoo. end we're, we're getting it in <laughs> all right well happy new year's to everybody and uh yes, wish you a new good year. game have, good year gaming for 24 yeah right. looking forward to a new, new year and we're going to come up with some great new uh other products to review here this year or this old dungeon. Yeah, hopefully we'll be firing back a little earlier in January, but but who's to say, you know, schedule. Yeah, so rough, this was a rough slap between Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> we just uh a series of uh peculiar events for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Happy gaming guys. All right. Good gaming all. Goodbye everyone. You have been listening to This Old Dungeon, a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming! Happy gaming!